Hello, and welcome to Label Sessions Presents. Label Sessions is a global platform that connects you to the best advice for the most interesting people. Whether you want advice, mentoring, or ideas. I'm Josh Nix, content producer for Label Sessions. And in this episode, Hishi Kijano of Label Sessions talks to Jez Goldstone. Jez is a cyber expert, leader, and innovator with over 20 years of IT experience in the financial service sector. He is passionate in finding the right solutions for cyber challenges where there is a need to balance business needs with cybersecurity protections. Over to Jez and Keisha. We're thrilled to have you as a guest here today, Jez. Um, We know you as someone who can make change and innovation happen in retail banking. Um, But I guess what's interesting is you've not come through customer and marketing, but through kind of cyber and security. Um, could you please introduce yourself to the Label Sessions audience and share a little bit about your career? Yeah, no problem. Glad to be here. Thanks very much for the opportunity. Um, so uh, my most recent role, um, I've just left uh, Barclays Bank uh, as their global head of cybersecurity, architecture, cloud and innovation, which is a bit of a mouthful, where I focused on making sure that uh, the right controls were in place for, for the bank and uh, running a team, an international team uh, that are based in the US, India, distributed across the UK and, uh, and in Israel. Um, the uh, the team uh, focused on enterprise security architecture, so that's uh, ensuring that strategic thinking is being done uh, and making sure that the right capabilities are, are being defined and uh, the strategy associated with those. It's also uh, had a, a team of security engineers who focused on uh, early validation of uh, of technology uh, ideas and and uh, and uh, early vendor validation. Uh, they also um, very much focused on the security of the cloud environment, so uh, making sure that we've got the right controls in the deployment into cloud. And then our innovation team who focused on uh, do focus on um, uh, vendor assessment, vendor, vendor evaluation, looking at what's in the marketplace, trying to identify whether there are new and better ways to, to do what we do today. Prior to that, I was uh, head of uh, a couple of innovation roles. Uh, so one was uh, security innovation for customer security, uh, where the focus was really on uh, how do you uh, project security thinking into uh, the customer experience and customer challenges, tackling customer complaints, uh, areas, those kinds of things. And then prior to that, I was actually in the retail banking outside of security, where I headed up an innovation team where we had a specific challenge to deploy uh, innovation features, innovation uh, ideas into uh, and getting those in front of customers. And so the challenge that we we had was how do we do that effectively? And uh, we decided that uh, we, we, we really needed a compiling application uh, that was called Barclays Launchpad. Uh, and uh, we went through a process of getting that uh, into production, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit more detail. Um, and at one point, we had 20,000 customers uh, volunteering to to use the the, the Logpad application. Uh, prior to that, I was a security consultant, a security architect, and uh, did a bit of consulting. The huge thing uh, that's come through your whole journey is kind of change making. And here at Label Sessions, we've heard a lot of stories about how kind of making change happen is kind of incredibly hard. I, I guess, could you talk to us about your experience struggling incremental feature upgrades versus kind of the leaps and kind of more innovative ones? 
within a large financial institution, there are there are hundreds of projects that get run. Um, many of those are uh, incremental changes to existing systems. Many of them are uh, brand new systems. And so um, colleagues of mine um, in the security consulting roles, they would um, work on the projects that are working on incremental change uh, and, and some of the new systems uh, implementations. You know, the specific challenge uh, and the uh, specific challenge really is that they need to understand the, the, the individual systems. You know, there are a large number of systems in a large enterprise. And so, so they have to uh, ensure that uh, they, they're understanding the incremental changes uh, versus the baseline. Um, it's also very important that some of those incremental changes could be quite large uh, and so uh, and complex. And so it's important for them to you know, get a grasp of those. Uh, in my particular role, I, I tended to get involved in the, um, the more unusual one-off strategic initiatives um, alongside those colleagues. And uh, in doing that, uh, it's really important to keep the business objective in mind and keep the customer outcomes in mind. And so it's it's quite straightforward for, for a security person to identify reasons why something can't happen. Uh, that's, that's the easy bit. Identify a risk that means that uh, you know there's got to be some sign-off uh, and risk acceptance or risk mitigations. The, the more tricky thing, uh, and this is what uh, you know many of my colleagues uh, uh, are doing day to day, is that they're identifying ways to enable the business with the right risk profiles. And so it's really critical to think about how to support those business outcomes. Um, the, the incremental change aspect is um, probably more straightforward. The step change changes, you know, require somebody to really get into the detail and the, uh, the depths of the, the change, understand what the security impacts might be, and how to do the, the right mitigation so that the business function can be enabled and, and in the right way. And that's not to say that uh, security will, uh, you know, highlight unacceptable risk and make sure that the right uh, risk acceptance process has been through. And occasionally, you know, maybe maybe say no. And um, it's it's uh, quite a quite a step to, to do that though, because you're paid to support the the business. And then the incremental change, you know, I. The, the best bits that my career, my career highlights really are, are when I've enabled the business to solve a particular challenge that's been knotty, challenging, unique, one-off, strategic, those kinds of uh, pushing the barriers uh, elements of, uh, of change in the organisation. With almost juggling both of those things going on at the same time, we just kind of assume that the kind of hygiene features seem to take precedence. Is that, would you say that's correct or kind of... What's the balance between the kind of incremental changes and those kind of big leaps? Yeah, so uh, that particular question, I think, refers to the Barclays, um, uh, Barclays mobile banking application. So um, when uh, when the application was first being created, this is 10 or 12 years ago now, uh, it was one of the first mobile banking applications on the market uh, internationally. And uh, this was brand new cutting edge, you know, taking a step back and thinking from foundations, what is it that we need to do here um, from a security point of view and also from a business point of view. So the business functionality that was uh, you know, essential to build this application 
needs needs to uh, needed to meet customer expectations uh, around what a banking application is to be useful. And so, you know, it's got to be able to show your balance. It's got to be able to show your recent transactions. It's got to maybe show you your statements. And uh, in a in a large complex organization, there's a lot of technical work that needs to be done in the background to provide those capabilities, lots of backend systems to hook into. And so uh, even a relatively simple looking feature in the application might require a significant amount of work to enable that in the back in the background with legacy systems integrations. And so uh, in the early days of uh, the mobile applications, you had a you have a roadmap of essential features that need to be put in hygiene features from a customer point of view. Yeah, this application is useless without feature X. Uh, why would I possibly, you know, what what possible reason could I have to use it? And so, um, when I was working in the the retail business, um, I was kind of in a position where I was looking to and required to look at innovation features, um, which is the best, you know, looking at things like which is the best way to display a a, a statement. Uh, what's the best way for a customer to make a payment? Um, if we did this brand new payment rail uh, approach, uh, if we did this brand new payment uh, structure or approach, you know how how does the customer react to that? Um, and so doing that customer research uh, in a lab is one thing. What we found though was that uh, customer behaviour was different in the production systems uh, when customers are using it for real, and so. There's a difference between what customers tell us in those labs and what what their actual behaviours are uh, on mass. And so, you know, the the idea was, can we really put the innovation features into the live applications? Um, and with this background of hygiene functions being essential for delivery, um, in the early days of the application, you've got this competition. This is this inherent conflict between getting the hygiene functions out so that customers value the application and trying the new ways of doing things. And so um, after some, some time of conflict and, and challenge, it, it, it kind of dawned on us that we really needed to, to have a separate application. And so the Bartis Launchpad application was born. And essentially it was a sister application, a live banking application into which we were showing innovation features and having customers co-create and collaborate with us, uh, which was really um, singular in the, in, the, in the industry at that time. Um, the the Barclays um, Launchpad application, we, we won a British Banking Association award for that, which I was extremely surprised and, and happy with. And the team did, did an amazing job of pulling everything together. Um, and so, um, essentially, we ended up with a sister application, which had its own roadmap and its own developers so that we could uh, effectively push out those innovation features uh, to, to those collaborative customers. Um, so that's one example of uh, how uh, trying to do innovation competes with essentially business as usual and uh, those hygiene functions you mentioned. This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast, for live sessions of advice, mentoring, or sometimes to collaborate on ideas. To find out more, visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team.
I'd love to kind of touch on that separate app for kind of the testing purposes part. I guess with all of that, what kind of insights did you cover about uncover about customer behavior through the separate app? It's a really interesting question because uh, the, the way that we did innovation itself evolved over time. Um, because we were learning, it was the first time that, uh, that anybody had done this in, in the way that we had, had, had been working it. And uh, it turns out that uh, running your own innovation application is hard as well. So this is a live banking application. It's for real. And so when you make a payment in the, when you made a payment in the Launchpad application, I should say that the Launchpad application uh, is no longer in the marketplace. It's been folded into the main application. So I'm talking about was quite a lot. So um, this is, yeah, this is a live banking application. And so when you pay money, you're actually paying money. And so that exactly the same level of due diligence and care and uh, customer support is required for the Launchpad application as it, as it was for the main banking application. And so that brings with it a whole uh, array of uh, operational rigor. Uh, you don't have the freedom. So you're trading off the... Uh, the customer real experience so that you get an understanding about what the real customer behavior is with a real banking app versus some agility, uh, even with your own innovation application. And so over time, um, you know, we were, we were identifying that the changes that we wanted to show the customers uh, and co-collaborate with them uh, were difficult to implement. Uh, so there, there's no free lunch uh, in this uh, at all. And uh, so we, we moved to uh, from implementing uh, live features um, to having a, 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 a set of live features plus uh, more questionnaire, more demo, more um, video-based uh, to, to sort of gain that customer feedback, which is a really, um, it was a practical approach, but quite disappointing from the vision point of view because we're now no longer uh, you know, getting that live, what happens if you make a payment using this new method, uh, uh, reality, uh, you're back to more of a, a lab and a what-if scenario. So there's this this real challenge between that nimbleness for innovation and being able to put the features in to, to really live and breathe those innovations or those innovative ideas versus how fast you can do that and how complex it is to, to get those through. On that kind of point, I guess a lot of us, we often get excited about the the what of innovation. They're like, oh my gosh, the the vision. And we kind of forget about the the how part. Um, and that's almost even kind of the more important part. That's the stuff that gets, gets it done. Um, could you talk to us kind of through what your experience was in the kind of the governance of innovation, I guess, and kind of how you work across an organization to make something happen. So I mentioned that uh, for the Logpad application, it was a live application and you know, the right level of due diligence and customer care needs to be taken place, needs to, needs to be in place. Uh, so that applies equally across um, uh, all, of the, all of the governance domains. So whether that's legal, whether that's cyber, whether that's uh, data privacy, et cetera. And so uh, it's essential to make sure that the stakeholders for those governance functions uh, are involved in a structured way to ensure that the innovation activity is well governed. And so uh, essentially, um, you know, an enterprise is set up with a particular governance framework in mind. Generally, I would expect that they're not set up to support innovation activity. And so 
there's a there's a need, I think, to negotiate the right way to govern production innovation. I mean, if you're doing back office innovation, that's you know you've got more degrees of freedom, many more degrees of freedom um, than that. But if you're doing customer facing innovation, you have to ensure that uh, you know that the user experience team are comfortable with the approach and that uh, you're doing it in a compliant way, for example. Um, are the same with all, all of the other governance functions. And so uh, you want to do this in a fast-track way, uh, as fast-track as you can. And so um, those governance teams and four of those, they are also working on the production systems governance. And so again, you see the, the, um, the challenge of doing innovation in parallel to, uh, to, to getting things done for, for a production system. And so... It's really essential, in my experience, to uh, have conversations with those government stakeholders and work out a practical way that they can be comfortable that they're involved and that they are uh, they have oversight on the innovation changes that are going through that are customer facing and you know impactful in their governance areas. And essentially, one of the things that we did was we um, we explicitly went through each of the governance teams and asked them what are the what are the criteria and trigger points where you would need to be involved in significant oversight of, of a change? Uh, and uh, we we came up with a questionnaire effectively that said, you know, if this innovation feature has these criteria, then that governance team needs needs more of an oversight and needs uh, time and space in order to, to do that review. Um, if it didn't fit within those criteria, then we had more degrees of freedom, uh, and we could uh, we could uh, innovate within the the uh, the criteria that had been set. And so, uh, what that enabled us to do was to um, use this questionnaire to make sure our stakeholders, our governance stakeholders, were uh, completely comfortable uh, in the in the way that we were doing things, the features that were being developed, and um, that also you know, feeds into the standard governance for a where um, again fighting for not fighting for again ensuring that you've got uh, enough prioritization to get on those governance forums uh, with an agreement to say you know maybe the innovation features come at the end of the agenda uh, we can we can talk through those those features and go through any questions on the uh, any any responses to the questionnaire that have been, that have been submitted and make sure that the governance teams were comfortable with uh, with what was going and part of that, you know, I discovered um, this is one of the key learnings for me is that the the storytelling of the features is so important for stakeholders. Um, it's something that, um, as a security person, I paid very little attention to customer experience, uh, the actual user experience. I, I was always focused on on the functional aspects. So, how does this thing work? You know, what is the outcome? Uh, and looking for, from a security point of view, looking for any gaps and and, uh, and issues that need more controls. And so I was kind of, I had half my brain on thinking, you know, what are the governance things we need to do from a security point of view? And the other half was thinking, well, how do I overcome those controls, uh, those constraints? And and how do I uh, make sure that the right controls are in place, uh, including with the governance uh, partners that we're working with? And you're talking about security. So thinking about security, what's your view on kind of this security enabling innovation rather than holding it back? So enabling uh, the business is 
is a balance really and it's a mindset i think of um, being able to identify what the controlled objectives are and also trying to identify and support the business in finding ways around that so personally i don't think it's good enough to point out where the challenges are um and leave leave that up to the technology teams to resolve in some cases they have the right expertise to do that but as a security person being involved in those conversations you can you can nudge the conversations uh, in the right direction and you can you can help the technology teams to uh, refine their approach to resolving the challenges by uh, being in the room by being in those discussions and by being a supportive partner in identifying those uh, those changes that need to be made to support the uh, the control environment so that's on the one hand so that's when it's within a system that uh, you're building yourself uh, in a system where there's a th- there are third parties involved then it's really critical to ensure that you can identify the control objectives and then work out how those objectives can be met be that with new new vendor technologies or the controls or procedural changes etc uh, and uh, to have that mindset of saying i've identified this challenge here are three ways that we might work together to address that challenge i think for me is a real um, mindset uh, and, and uh, cultural approach to security uh, and i find that in doing that you can you, you gain confidence with your stakeholders um, it's not just a challenge that you're throwing over the fence to say go solve it's really a matter of uh, working in partnership with those stakeholders and make sure that uh, you know the outcomes are, are met one of my other uh, life lessons uh, really is to ask the why question uh, maybe several times because your stakeholders are generally experts in the domain that they're working in and that they're delivering in. Uh, well, I would hope so. And uh, it's really critical to make sure that your understanding is the same as their understanding. And the the reason and the drivers and motivation for what they're trying to achieve are clear to you. It's really easy to make assumptions on why, why a stakeholder is doing something. But until you ask them the question, the why question, then you may well be completely off the mark. Uh, and understanding the motivation behind the action, I, I have to find is really in, in, incisive and, and to help understanding and help you think about different ways to get to their why that might not have occurred to them. That very, very much makes sense. And kind of with all of this, the stuff that you've been picking up from different jobs, different projects, I wonder how do you kind of, how did you cultivate your skills in security and banking? And then what advice could you give to others wanting to become an expert expert in this field? So curiosity, I think, is is the foremost. And um, I have a have a have an interest in cybersecurity. I read about cybersecurity constantly. Um, I also have an awareness that, an acute awareness about the things that I don't know. Um, I, I know a lot about what I don't know. When I get into uh, an area of technology or a domain where I'm less comfortable, don't have the knowledge, I will spend time understanding that environment. I'll ask questions. I'll ask the dumb questions. Uh, you know, those naive questions uh, are really important to ask because uh, unless you understand uh, the environment and the challenges and the technology, it's very difficult to come up with sensible options. In fact, 
you will lose credibility very quickly if you're using the wrong language, if you are portraying yourself as a as an expert when really you're not. And so don't be afraid to ask those naive, if I can say, dumb questions. Um, and, uh, you know, if you don't know, you don't know. People are not born with this knowledge. Knowledge is accumulated. And you can't be an expert in all domains, in all, in all different technologies. So, you know, as a security person uh, who gets involved in lots of different technology and different te technical conversations, I have to gain sufficient understanding and knowledge to be able to have sensible conversations. And I think asking those, those questions age your credibility because you're not, you're, you're demonstrating that you're, you've got an interest, you've got an, an aptitude and an understanding about what, where the important questions are. Unfortunately, that also means occasionally you can miss something. And so you have to be comfortable and that, uh, you know, nobody can be perfect in this in this environment. You have to do the the job that you're able to do, and make sure that you're you know you've got strong colleagues around you that can potentially supplement um, the activity that you're doing. And so, you know, I might call on a network expert to a security network expert to uh, help with a particular aspect of, a, of an investigation or a, uh, an application development security set DevOps. Uh, expert to come in and you know lend an opinion over here and land over there, and so not being afraid and being collaborative, uh, bringing in the right people, the right expertise to help, is also I think a key thing from a and from an ego point of view. Make sure that you know you're you're not putting your ego first. It's about getting the outcomes, <clears throat> and um, in challenging environments, um, a little mantra that I say to myself uh, and to colleagues is. You can only start from today. Start from last week or last month. I can only ever start from today. So given that I'm starting from today, what is the next best thing that I can do to achieve the outcomes that are needed? And so that kind of uh, mental model really helps me to um, get over the fact that I, I should have known something, I didn't know something. I can only start from today. Uh, and so... I kind of share that with uh, with people that are early in their careers, uh, as well. In terms of nobody's born with this knowledge, you have to you have to accumulate it through experience. Some of those things that you are accumulating are through mistakes. Uh, you know, uh, somebody who's never made a mistake in their career has probably not done very much in their career. Uh, and so, you know, learn from the people around you, ask questions, and when you're very early in your career, uh, listen listen a lot and ask a lot of questions. Uh, you know, why did you say that in this meeting? What does this acronym mean? Uh, why, why were you thinking on the, along those lines? You know, what was the motivator behind you, you going in that direction? And then once you get an appreciation and understanding about what's going on in the conversations, start to form your own opinions and then don't be afraid to put those opinions forwards. Uh, most especially, you know, if you're in an environment where, um, where the team are supportive and constructive, take advantage of that. Take opportunity of people's goodwill. Uh, and uh, that most people, I think, are willing to spend time and share their knowledge and understand. Uh, so when you start to form those opinions, test them out. Uh, ask why your opinion might not be, not, might not be right. Why, why is experience telling you that you know, there might be a different way to look at this, this, this thing? It's, it's really only until it's only it's only when you start to form opinions 
that the thinking really kicks in. Uh, it of uh, I've got this opinion. Why is that the case? Uh, how did I get here? What might I, I have missed? Um, what other scenarios might be uh, in play here? One other life lesson, if I may, <laughs> um, is around an understanding that um, the perception of you know, expertise, competence that uh, that more junior member staff have in more senior staff, uh, a lot of it is to do with the environment that they're working in, um, the environment that the more experienced people work with. They have access to more information, uh, and they're involved in meetings where they're getting information and context. And so as a uh, less experienced member of staff, you won't be in those meetings, you won't have these contexts, and so you'll be missing pieces of the puzzle. So don't feel afraid, uh, don't feel uh, that there's anything wrong in reaching ideas and uh, outcomes and suggestions for things where where there's a bit of context missing because you've not got that context. And so very much don't beat yourself up about that. Uh, you know, get an understanding that, uh, you know, it's people in particular roles uh, have this advantage, if you like, in terms of uh, wider context that they're getting and understanding and also their experience. A ensure that uh, you're not thinking that this is an impossible task because you're missing some context. They're given the context, you're not. Uh, it's really important to make sure that you're understanding you know, your role in the organization and uh, the, the access to information and your decision-making is not necessarily poorer. It's just that maybe the context isn't all there for you. Lots of pieces of advice that you've given there and kind of they apply to anyone in whatever role they're in. I think that's, it's it's something that a lot of people kind of don't really think about a lot especially that context part as some perhaps more junior wanting to become an expert of kind of ask your questions but just kind of keep that in the back of your head that you might not have all the context when making up your your thoughts and kind of your opinions on things so yeah thank you very much for for sharing that one i've got a few questions to ask it's kind of what we do at the end of um the podcast it's just to get a little idea of kind of who, who you are, um, where, kind of, how you work, what makes your brain kind of tick. Um, but yeah, kind of, we've, we've had a lot about your expertise, but now we're just going to get to know you a bit. So we've got a few, just a few questions on that one. So um, very quick fire, question number one. Um, where do you go for inspiration for your day job, kind of, and also to feed your creative brain? I switch off. Um, I, I meditate. Uh, I go for walks. Uh, I find that many of my inspirations come when I'm not thinking about work. Uh, one of the things that uh, that I might do is pose myself a question and then stop thinking about it. And then my lizard brain um, continues to work on it without me being conscious of it. Uh, and so uh, I don't know if this is the same for other people, but uh, I find that uh, you know, the idea pops out of my head almost fully formed. And uh, I don't know how I do it. It just just happens. Uh, so yeah, inspiration strikes, uh, but I, I find that the best ideas come in the shower uh, or, or on a walk or when I'm meditating, uh, which is not really the idea of meditation, but uh, when I'm not thinking about it. Uh, it doesn't happen in front of the TV, though, because uh, uh, I think something happens to disrupt. But, uh, you know, when I'm when I'm unfocused, uh, then, then that's kind of a bit... But, 
those are the times of opportunities where, where things pop into my head. Could you describe your desk for our audience? Yeah, it's a mess. <laughs> so I have a, uh, a standing desk, uh, which I don't use often enough. Um, I've got a, a nice lamp with a, a vintage type light bulb on it. I've got a Google Home Assistant. Uh, it's going to pipe up in a minute. Now I'm like that. I've got a lock picking kit that I play with uh, when I'm trying to defocus. Uh, I'm not very good at it. And um, I've got I've got a few um, sort of gadgets uh, that I play with on the phone. Uh, this is uh, something with a magnet in it. Um, and uh, what else have I got? Notebooks, drinks, a banana, and uh, a little figure that my daughter made me. That she'll be very unhappy that I've uh, shared it. <laughs> I think that's great. That's got everything you need. In another life, what would your career be? Ideally, it'd be exactly what I've done. Um, I, I've loved my career to date. Um, I've I find it challenging. I find it useful. Um, I've managed to impact a significant number of people um, uh, in in the innovations that I've been a part of. And so, uh, no, I, I don't think I could have asked for much more of a interesting, challenging career than I've got right now. That's absolutely wonderful. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Uh, I think to take the emotions out of challenging situations. Uh, take a step back. Don't let emotions rule. And don't send an email when you're angry. <laughs> uh, write the email. Put it in your drafts. Like, come back to it the next day. Um, yeah, take the emotions out of things. And uh, that also applies to colleagues that you're working with. So, um, you know, try to talk them down off the, off the ledge and take a step back and focus on, uh, again, one of the things, one of my mantras to myself is, what's the next best step that you can take? Uh, given where we are today and now, and because you can't start last week, we're starting today. What is the next best step that we can take to get in the right direction? And that most often, 99.9% .9 of the time, does not involve emotion. I think that's great. That's a great piece of advice. Um, and a lot of people need to hear that. So thank you. Um, we've got, I've got one more question for you. It's a question we ask everyone here on the podcast. Um, so Jez, on a scale of one to 10, how weird are you? Three. Not very weird. Not very fair weird. enough. Absolutely fair enough. Thank you so much for your, um, your kind of teaser of the the advice that you could give. You've given a lot of kind of life lessons as well, kind of in, in general, which has been absolutely fantastic. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much for your time and coming on the podcast. Well, Patricia, thanks for the opportunity. Really a pleasure being here. Thank you. So concludes another episode of Label Sessions Presents. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast no matter your platform of choice. And of course, start your journey today with us at labelsessions.com.